Are you enduring? Are you praising? How are you doing in terms of your confinement? Well, that's what we're talking about today, how to break free from spiritual confinement. I'd like you to have your Bibles, please, in your hands. And by Bibles, I will accept second best, you know, a, a kind of personal device, electronic. But I, I love a good old Bible. I love to smell the print. I love to feel the pages. I love to be able to turn over the pages and dip backwards and forwards instead of having to scroll and scroll. Have your Bibles and uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 49. Breaking free from spiritual confinement. By now, I'm sure you will already know how precious you are to God, how highly favored you are by God in Christ, that you carry and wear the most beautiful robe of sonship and of daughterhood that would make even Joseph's amazing technicolor dream coat look like nothing by comparison to the robes of righteousness and sonship clothed upon you. You also know that you have a spiritual destiny. I'm not just talking about what you might imagine for yourself, not just saying what your own fleshly self-centered, we're all the same, so I'm not getting at you, but the self-centered ambitions of our lives. We know what that means to be replaced by God's purposes, which are bigger and better and more glorious and all prepared for us, waiting for us to walk in them, which is the overflow, the outflow of our sonship and our fellowship with him. I'm sure you all know that you are children of destiny. God had a purpose when he laid hold of you. But also, I'm sure you know you have a spiritual enemy. And it seems to me logical to understand that our spiritual enemy, if he can't get our souls and he's lost us forever by the blood of Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus, he's lost us forever. But I'm sure you know and will understand that what he wants to do is to try and block God's plan for your life, to try and make you less fruitful than you might otherwise be, even perhaps to try to make you fruitless, to gridlock your life, to confine you, to put barriers and walls and blockages all around you that you hardly have air to breathe and can't see the purposes of God and become overcome by that spirit of confinement. But today we're going to learn from Joseph's story Joseph was the second last son of the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who became Israel, and the 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Joseph was particularly set apart from his brothers to, have a, to fulfill a very special plan. He was favored by his father. His father had some kind of uh, preference uh, over his two wives. One of them, Leah, was unloved. God blessed her and helped her. 
But Rachel's favorite life had difficulty conceiving children. And finally, Joseph came along. And I, I'm willing to, to, uh, to believe that Joseph looked very much like his mother. And so Jacob favored this son and gave him a coat of many colors, an ornamental robe, which was the robe of sonship, saying, I'm going to exalt you above your brothers. I'm going to treat you as the firstborn, even though you are the second lastborn. So Joseph had all this going for him, but because he was so significant in the plan and purposes of God, so beloved of God, that the enemy strategized a lifelong strategy of curbing his fruitfulness, attacking his life. Most of the attacks came through people, his brothers and others, but it was, had a spiritual source. And we're going to see from Joseph's life how God will protect you and prosper you and make you fruitful by showing you how to break free from your spiritual confinement. So we're turning now to Genesis 49, verse 28. And this is the verse that defines much of the rest of the chapter. And it's the story of Jacob at the end of his life, pronouncing a patriarchal blessing, a prophetic blessing over all of his sons, and all 12 of them. And he gives them a blessing appropriate to each and every one of them. This is what it says, Genesis 49, verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. So now all were suitably blessed, but when you read the blessings, and we'll do in a moment Joseph's blessing, we see that Joseph was special. He was set apart from his brothers. And there, is, there are many verses about this in this prophetic blessing. Let's start with verse 22, Genesis 49, verse 22. Here is the blanket, victorious blessing, the blessing by which Joseph lived in all the ups and downs, right from the pit to the prison to the palace. He trusted God's blessing on his life. Joseph is a fruitful bough a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. Now we see straight away a number of ingredients that contributed to the fruitfulness of his life. We can learn from them. First of all, he was a bough, which means he wasn't the tree, he wasn't the whole tree, but he was a branch of that tree. And because he was connected to that branch, he was connected to hereditary blessing. God covenanted with Abraham. That covenant was renewed in Isaac and then renewed in Jacob. And so now Joseph is the fourth generation of inherited blessing. And when you connect yourself to the family of God, connect yourself to a Christian community, a bit like here, you become automatically connected to the storehouse of spiritual blessing that God has over a house and over a family. Our blessing in this house is considerable. It goes all the way back, uh, at the very least, 
to the great Pentecostal outpouring of the early 20th century when God started something new, a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit and the, first the Pentecostal movement, world missions through Pentecostal movement, charismatic movement, and all the renewal movements owe their origin to that place. And this was the headquarters church of one of the most significant early Pentecostal apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pioneers. And we step into that inherited blessing. When I first stood in this pulpit many, many years ago, I think I had just said goodbye to Noah at the time. But anyway, uh, all those years ago, I stepped into this pulpit and I was immediately aware of the vast storehouse of blessing that hangs over this house prophetically by way of destiny. I frequently say the key to our destiny lies in our history. Actually, if you go a bit further back, I won't do it today, but we, even before the Pentecostals took over this building, it was a flourishing evangelical congregational church that hosted such preachers and missionaries as Gladys Aylward, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. We have a rich spiritual heritage. When you connect with a community, you become part of that heritage. When you disconnect, you cut yourself off. That's why we should never be cut off. Joseph was connected. Secondly, Joseph knew his source. What is your source? The source for your refreshment, the source of your spiritual strength, the source of your fruitfulness. Here in the text, it says, he was a fruitful bough by a spring. And that means when the going gets tough, the roots get deeper. Joseph learned what it was to ignore the, the arrows fired at him largely by the jealousy and vindictiveness of his brothers, and he dug his roots deeper and deeper into God. Your source, your supply is not your brother, not your mother, not your sister, and it's not even you, oh Lord. <laughs> it's not you. It is God himself. We have the Holy Spirit like a, a spring, a well of living water. And God has blessed us with a source. And all you need to learn to do is to drink from the source that God has placed within you in His presence. God is your source. He is your refuge. He is your deliverer. And He is the one who will cause you to break free from all spiritual confinement. We also see that uh, uh, Joseph was not restricted. It's very interesting. The restrictions placed around him were formidable, and but not insurpassable. The Bible says, by my God, I can leap over a wall. And Joseph's fruitfulness was not limited to the limitations placed upon him, the wall built around him. Now, the image here is perhaps that of a vineyard or uh, 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 fruit, uh, a bunch of fruit trees together. Uh, and of course, there would be a wall of protection to stop foxes, wild animals, or people coming in and disturbing the fruit, and robbing the fruit. But sometimes walls that are legitimately set up to protect us also can become barriers that prevent us from flourishing. And uh, Joseph learned 
that he, he need not be limited by the parameters placed around him by the opinions of others, by the structures forced upon him, or all sometimes good meaning, let alone when we start talking about the spiritual barriers that the enemy wants to put up around our lives. And he said, it doesn't bother me. I'm just going to grow over the walls and I'm going to bear fruit over the walls and no human limitation is going to stop me bearing full fruit for the glory of God. No demonic wall, no demonic barrier is going to prevent me. I will break out of every spiritual confinement and I will break free. Even if I have to leap over a wall, God will fulfill his purposes of fruitfulness for my life. I believe he was also blessed and fruitful because he learned how to take those things that opposed him the circumstances, whether they were his brothers or whether they were other jealous people or whether they were coming directly from the enemy who wants to stop us being fruitful and all the difficult, confining circumstances when his brothers conspired to kill him and said, let's see what becomes of his dreams. When he was thrown into a deep pit only to be rescued in order to be sold into slavery. And then when he was serving in slavery and grew in influence in his master's house, falsely accused by his master's wife of attempting to rape her, he was thrown into a prison. And even there in prison, he flourished. And finally, when he was released from prison, he'd gone from the pit to the prison to the palace. And now he was exalted in the highest position in the land, not for his own glory, Highest position, apart, he was in Egypt, highest position apart from Pharaoh himself. He was in that highest position, prime minister of Egypt, you might say, not for his own purpose, not to boast about his vindication, but to be a person of influence, to save many, many lives. What a story to tell. But in order to get there, he had to be prepared to see the blessing in every situation. Rather than holding on to resentment, seeking revenge, or operating out of a spirit of vindictiveness, but actually out of the purity of his heart, forgiving his brothers and all those who hurt him and mistreated him, and trusting in God to bring it about that God's name would ultimately be honored. And so he was blessed by God. That's the only blessing we need. Verse 20, uh, verse 23 to 25, uh, verse 23 to 26 rather, it shows how God stood with him in all these circumstances. So it says, he was blessed, but, verse 23, the archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Now, in those few words, read the full story. The full story is found in Genesis chapters 37, right the way through to chapter 50. You read the full story, you'll see that that sentence is a lifetime. He, he's had dreams and visions from the age of 17. And these dreams and visions were extraordinary and they were not welcome by his brothers and ultimately not even welcomed by his father and mother. The dreams were you are going to serve me. I've seen a dream. 
You're, I have a dream. God's given me a dream. Every one of you brothers is going to bow down to me. I really were riled by that. What an upstart. How dare he? And then he had another dream. Even the sun and the moon bowed down to him. So he said to his parents, you are going to bow down to me. I mean, can you imagine what that would do to a 17-year-old who is probably a little bit arrogant and very easily uh, easy to, to be boastful? But there it was, an irritation to his brothers in the first instance, his mother, father in the second instance, but his brothers would have nothing to do with it. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. And they were responsible for selling him into slavery and all the sufferings that came upon him. And he didn't say, you wait till I get my hands upon those brothers of mine. Fast forward, age 30, he's now prime minister of Egypt. His brothers come for help because there's a famine in, the, in uh, Canaan and they come for grain in Egypt. And he could have so easily said, I've got you now where I want you. When I was weak, you threw me down. When I was in difficulty, you threw me into a pit. You had no pity on me. You sold me into slavery. Now I am so powerful in, in this nation of Egypt. All I need to do is to say, execute, and you will be executed on the spot. And do you know what? That's exactly what I'm going to do. That will teach you to mess with a man of God. He didn't do that. Had the capacity, but he forgave them. He forgave them. And so as a result of that, the blessing of God pursued him. I can imagine in the pit, crying out to God, saying, God, you have a vision for me. You've called me to be fruitful. Help me to be fruitful. He rescued from the pit, sold into slavery, into Potiphar's house, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard, a very prominent and important a military person, civil servant in the court of Pharaoh. God, help me. And there in that place, he was so blessed that he rose to prominence until Potiphar finally said, listen, I'm going to entrust you with everything in my house and I won't even have to inspect what I expect because I have confidence in you. And then when Potiphar's wife made eyes at him and tried to seduce him, he refused. He didn't even say, listen, I'd like to do this, but it's going to get me into big trouble. Your, you know, your, your husband will, will get me and I, 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 I value my life too much than to mess with you. He didn't even reason that way. He said, how could I commit this sin against God? So all along, he overcame his temptations. He overcame his frustrations by the blessing of God that pursued him, by his love for God, his intimacy with God his knowledge of God, and his confidence in the plan of God for his life. Do you have that same confidence in the plan of God for your life? How tragic that it could be that we end our life not even knowing the reason for it in the first place. In this church, we encourage you to seek God. There is already a call upon your life how it is specifically worked out will be how God leads you. But we are all called to make mature, mentor and mobilize disciples. We're all called to be salt and light in the wider community. We're all called to be witnesses and testimonies for Christ. We're all called to build one another up, to reach out to others and to grow above all things, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, to come to that place in our life where we could say, 
for certain. Not only if we die tonight, we'll be going to heaven, but also before we die, that the most significant desire of my life is a desire for God. Everything else takes second place. There's a good starting point for God's plan for your life. But are you so confident that you can say, the God who called me will enable me? The God who gave me a mission and a commission will be with me to fulfill it? God who's got a plan for my life, whatever obstacles come, and believe me, any plan of God will be opposed in your life, first of all, by your own fleshly nature. Secondly, by other people who will be coming in, especially those who see your life and are blessed to see your gifts and your progress and start to diss you because they think, you know, well, it's all right for you. You know, uh, you, you, you've got it good. But what about me? Or, you know, I, 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 I resent the blessing of God upon your life. We're called to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And when you see somebody blessed of God and prospering, rejoice. And thank God, because God has a plan for you as well. So he was blessed by God, the only blessing we need. Going halfway through verse 25, let's go on to verse 26 as well. This is the blessing that pursued him. By the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessing of your father are mighty beyond the blessing of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Do you want that blessing upon your life? Okay, I know you do, but it was good to hear it. And here's how to get it and to understand it. You know, Joseph was highly favored by Jacob, his father. Now, we've looked at some of the human reasons for that, but there's, this is a picture of you being blessed by God. It all begins with understanding who you are. And you don't wear this arrogantly, but you need to know who you are. Uh, there was a lady in the church a number of years ago who always answered the question, how are you? With, I am blessed and highly favored. How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. And so she was, but we all are. And God has taken us and set us apart that we might stand against the spirit of confinement. You know, this is such a fundamental principle of Christian living and experience and fruitfulness. It begins with the statement that applies to us because we're in Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's not well pleased in us, but he's well pleased in him and because we are in him. That will determine everything about you. Wear the robe of sonship 
with humility, but also with joy. Recognize that you too are destined for greatness. You know, we are destined for the throne, not the throne of Egypt, not the throne of Great Britain and the, and the uh, Commonwealth. We are destined to be seated with Christ on the throne of heaven. And in, positionally, we are there. But now on this earth, we're in training for reigning. And we're going to live and rule with Christ in his eternal kingdom forever and ever. And that little bit of ruling that he gives us now, that op opportunity to break free from the restrictions and the bondages of spiritual confinement, knowing how to conquer and knowing how to overcome in the spirit of gentleness and humility under the blessing and the anointing of God. Knowing all of that is what will take you through. So he also knew how to be refined and prepared for greatness. That's how we break out of the gridlock in our life. You know, so many times, friends, we mistake what God has meant for good to be the enemy's ultimate plan for our life. Did you know that? Genesis 15 verse 20, when Joseph was used by God to prophesy to Pharaoh, But what was coming in Egypt, seven plenty years and seven lean years, he says, you, you need somebody, Pharaoh, who can take care of this to supervise all of this so that during the years of plenty, we'll store up for the years of famine. And there was so much, so much blessing and prosperity in the first seven years that those seven lean years that were to follow not only provided food for Egypt, but food for some of the neighboring nations as well. And during the extremity of that time of famine, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to get grain. And you read the whole story. But in that way, Joseph met his brothers again. They didn't recognize him. He spoke Egyptian perfectly. He was in such a high position. They probably weren't even allowed to look at him directly dressed in all the splendor of the Egyptian court. But finally, when he revealed himself to them, he said, it's me, Joseph, the one whom you betrayed and threw into a pit and sold into slavery. It is I standing before you. They were terrified. You know, this is a great test of all authority, a great test. When you have the power and the authority over somebody who has hurt you, what do you do? He said, no, don't worry. You intended it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives, even as it is this day. And so he was, he'd learned to look upon all the problems, even those that were Were, uh, that originated in malice, jealousy, or resentment. Jealousy is a very strong emotion. Somebody said to me once, jealousy is such a strong emotion, it will follow you to your grave, and when you're six foot under, it will dance and celebrate over your grave. Such a strong emotion. 
And that's so easy for us to feel hurt, let down, angry, resentful ourselves, and to rise to the ungodly position of revenge and of vindictiveness, the mean-spirited vindictiveness. You will meet that spirit. When God blesses you, you will know because that spirit will come right at you. You need to know how to break free from those confinements. So because he was able to say, you intended it for evil, you're not excused, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Romans 8, 28 is a slight uh, uh, exposition of this and development of this, where it says, all things work together for good to those who are the loved ones and those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Not just that this thing that happened, God meant it for good, but God is able to take everything that happens to you to turn it around in such a way that it will work for your ultimate good and blessing and for his ultimate glory. What does that mean then, practically? It means that we look at our stumbling blocks and turn them into building blocks for your life, for your character, for your faith. The very things that were intended against you to to curtail you and to make you fruitless and to cause you to give up were the very things, the very same things. If you have this attitude, you will see that they become the occasion for your strength and future fruitfulness far beyond what you ever thought was possible. It also includes the ability to look at your confinement and thank God for it and say, thank you, Lord, you can turn this confinement into refinement. And my life can be refined and purified. You can face the lowest moments of your humiliation, but rest assured that after humiliation comes elevation. Elevation, not just to vindicate you, to make you look good so you can turn to others and say, I told you so, but elevate you to a position of influence to fulfill God's purposes for you and for others, especially the purposes of God in choosing a nation like Israel so that the gospel could go forth. This is your ultimate purpose on earth to make Christ known, and God will put you into that elevated position that is chosen for you so that you can be the most influence that, God, that you could possibly be. Now, that may not be prime minister, number 10, counselor of the, uh, chancellor of the exchequer, number 11, or whoever else lives in Downing Street. It might be number 24B, Abandon Place in the East End. Could be. But that address, your location, is where God will place you and elevate you to bring maximum influence because you are exalted in him. You are influential because of him. Amen and amen. When you look at your barriers, the barriers erected around you, I have never known it otherwise than this, that when God sets out to bless me, to increase my fruitfulness, then immediately around me, all the barriers are erected ultimately by the spirit of confinement, though using some very extraordinary people, sometimes your closest friends, sometimes your brothers, your colleagues, as well as your enemies. 
But when you look at the barriers and say, I'm, I'm broken, I can't do it, then you're never going to get anywhere. But if you know that by your God, you can leap over a wall, you can bear fruit over the walls, over the barriers, you will see that those very barriers are the blessings and the basis for the blessings of your fruitfulness. God intended it for good. When you come under the affliction of persecution, and we are seeing increased persecution in our day, nothing by comparison to what we know is happening in other parts of the world. This week, I heard a testimony of a house church pastor in Iran who was arrested and spent over 365 days in darkness, in solitary confinement. When they took him out for a wash or whatever else, very rare, he was blindfolded. And he spent a full five years in prison. And yet he spoke less about his sufferings and more about how God used him in the prison. They smuggled Bibles in, got the Bibles to the women's part of the prison, and testimonies of souls because he said, this persecution that has come upon me is going to add to my spiritual power and the anointing of God upon my life. So God will not allow anything to come into your life other than he will use for your ultimate good and for his ultimate glory according to his purposes. So, learn to talk to yourself. David talked to himself. He knew how to talk to himself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It's like he took his soul, one side said, now soul, you bless the Lord. You read those passages when David talks to himself. And here's one of the classical passages of how David talked to himself. Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Maybe today you feel compressed, depressed, suppressed, and there are barriers around and there are blockages everywhere. You can't see the way out. Maybe you're at the bottom of the pit, metaphorically speaking, and you can barely see the light coming above you. Lift up your head, lift up your voice and praise the Lord. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have perfected praise to silence the foe and to silence the avenger. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. I've done it before. He's brought me through before and I've praised him then. He's going to do it again and I will praise him then. But I'm not going to wait until that happens. I'm going to praise him now because he is my salvation and my God and the God who gives me the power to break out of all spiritual confinement that I might fulfill my purpose and bear the fruit that God has appointed for my life. 